Hello, everyone. Welcome to the You Gotta Be Bullshilling Me podcast. This is your host, Brian C. Schilling, live from Los Angeles, California. News of the day. The number one movie box office sales was only 3.2 million. Again, only 3.2 million. Shows you that movie theaters are becoming obsolete and streaming platforms are dominating the film industry. Go Netflix. Ice cream in northeastern China tests positive for COVID-19. And gamblers say that they want to start betting on drone races. Today on our show, we have a very special guest. He's hot, he's got the trap, and on our show, we drink Red Bull and smoke pot. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Richard Gallion. Richard, how are you today? Oh, man, I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much. First off, uh, thanks for taking uh, the time today to be on our number one podcast. It's a pleasure to have you, and Happy New Year. Oh, uh, man, Happy New Year to you, too. And, man, I, I, I appreciate the invite, man. I'm honored. Really yes, do. absolutely. No, thank you. Sincerely, thank you. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, and uh, um, how's your 2021 going so far? So far, so good. Uh, I really can't complain. I've just been, been in more preparation. Um, I, actually, I actually started mentally being in 2021 in like September of 2020. Okay, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> it just kind of made a smooth transition right on over. But oh, I've just been cool. prepping, man, just been writing a lot of scripts and and just continuing to work with the uh, the school system, and and that's it. That's great. That's wonderful. So um, after doing my research on you, Richard, prior to our show today, um, I noticed that you wear many hats, and um, mm -hmm. I've read uh, uh, about you that uh, you're a playwright, you're a writer, you're a director, you're a producer, uh, you're an actor, uh, you're a church man, you're a family man, um, you're from Chicago. And I wanted to start to show off today by asking you this. Um, being an African-American, what are your thoughts, feelings, and emotions when it comes to being a black man, not only in Chicago, but also in the entertainment industry? I'll just say, man, it's, 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 it's tough period. Um, for one, I, I, think, I don't think we get many fair um, opportunities. I think there's always a, a, a limit as to how many African-American men can even be in, you know, certain movies. And, and uh, you know, it's no secret that we don't really dominate, um, you know, a lot of the big major movies that go into theaters. Um, I think it's also tough um, as, uh, as well because we don't, uh, I don't think, I don't think African, many African-American um, actors get the pay, you know, that they deserve or even being able to wear certain hats and, uh, even being able to direct and, and produce and, you know, do certain films. But I will say, uh, as of late, um, there has been an increase in that. You have been seeing more African-American men, you know, get certain acknowledgement and, and being able to, uh, you know, wear big hats that, you know, other people wear in the industry. But it's it's been tough, man. It's been tough, especially when you don't want to be typecast. Because most of the time, like for me, I, I get I get cast as a thug. Uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. And and just being, you know, stuck in that once bubble, you know, sometimes can, you know, can cost you a career when you can do many other things. I can, you know, I can play a lawyer. I can, of course, be a thug. I can play a sex symbol. I can be a scientist. I, there's so many different things that I can do. Um, right. So just, you know, just being able to, you know, get over them humps of just being typecast too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So kind of you, you feel that the industry kind of has uh, uh, an image of you and you feel like they kind of get stuck on that image, whereas, you know, you know that you're multi-talented and uh, you have different talents, uh, like you said, to play a lawyer or a doctor or a scientist or a sex symbol. Um, but you feel like you're going out for uh, a lot of thug roles. Do you believe that that's um, uh, not only because because you are a big guy? Um, I see in your photos that uh, you're a very uh, big, strong man. Um, you think it's because of uh, your um, appearance, um, or do you believe that it has to do something with being from Chicago and being an African American male uh, who happens to be in uh, the show business? I wouldn't necessarily say from with being from Chicago. Um, I mean, like if you take if you take um, let's say Goldberg for example, uh, the 
Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, some of these people that were once upon a time rosters that was kind of digging into the acting thing. Right, right. They're just as big as I am. Uh-huh, <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. You're not kidding. You know, the WWE not wrestlers. Getting, yeah, they're not they're not getting cast as as um as thugs all the time. Sometimes when you're cast for them roles, and it could be because of course I'm big, I can I'm I can relate. I'm you know I'm yes. very in tune with what a thug is. Um, but I, I guess the other biggest issue that I have too is because the the narrative that's being told is really mm-hmm. not a real narrative. Mm-hmm. And and that even has to, you know, that deals with the writing because if you look in a, like if you really go to the hood, most uh-huh. your thugs are not the biggest guys. Okay. Most your most your most deadliest stone cold killers can be very small, skinny. Just mm-hmm. somebody with a rough temper because a, a gun don't have a muscle. A gun don't see a muscle, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so right. just just even the narrative that's being told, and even the 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 illusion of what a thug really looks like, how a thug sounds, and then it, just even the story that's going into like the the the, the thugs. You know what I'm saying? It's like that. Uh-huh. A lot of it is not real, per se. Per se. I understand. Yeah, yeah, and that's. Um, you know, that, that, you know, I'm going to touch on that later about how, um, you know, these, these drama shows and these cop shows um, about whether they're uh, realistic or not realistic. Um, but I wanted to ask you, touching back on uh, you being a church man um, and, 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 you know, your, your relationship with God, do you believe in the power of prayer? Absolutely. Prayer is part of a principle to me. And, and, and because even when, when the Bible talks about us being able to speak those things, it's not as if they were saying that because we have that power to create with our mouth, if mm-hmm. we speak it, we believe it, and we work towards it, it will happen because that's what we put out there in the atmosphere. And I think, I think what's happened with the church and with people in the world is that the church can sometimes be extremely religious to where it could be a turnoff from the people in the rural. When a lot of the things that we assess and a lot of the things that we pray about and even put out in the atmosphere, even if you put something out there in the atmosphere, um, I mean, it's a principle. It's mm-hmm. really a principle. But when you put prayer into it, you know what I mean? And you acknowledge that once you live in God and, and you actually put that out there in the atmosphere, you have the faith to believe that whatever you put out there, it will manifest, it will happen. That's mm-hmm. just an actual principle. And you don't even have to be a believer. You don't even have to believe in God in order for them principles to be effective because the word is the word. Mm-hmm. You know, so whether you praying or whether you speaking it, I mean, it can still be very effective. And I think that's something that the church won't say for real. Mm-hmm. You can be very effective just by opening your mouth and having the faith to believe whatever it is that you just said will happen for you. But of course, I put mine in the terms of prayer because, I mean, I, I love to be able to say what I want to the creator of everything to God, you know, and, and mm-hmm. even when the Bible say we were made in his image. I mean, think about it. Anything that God created, he never physically created with his hand. Mm-hmm. Everything he created, he created with his mouth. He said, let there be light. And then there, were, there was light. It didn't say that he put some strings together and made electricity happen. No, he opened his mouth and said, let there be light. Then the light came. Then he said, he's going to separate the light from the dark and it will separate. Then he said, we're going to make mankind in our image. And then that's, you know, it's like everything was created from his mouth. Wow. And if we are gods, small gods, because we are all gods with the lowercase g, if he made us in his image, we have that same power and that same ability. That's why I love the the whole thing of creating, being a creator and, mm-hmm. and artistic, because that's what God did. He created. You know, to kind of uh, uh, connect the dots, there is uh, is a beautiful thing, and 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 uh, what you said about God is is amazing too. Um, just this past Monday, uh, Richard was Martin Luther King Day. Um, can you share with me and 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 with our audience uh, how you feel about Martin Luther King and what he means to you? I think I I, I honor Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, I think what he did was extremely courageous. Um, right now, we live in a world and a society where a lot of different things happen and people's mouths are muted. Like they don't say a word. As long as it's not bothering them, they just tend to go about their day and just don't care. But Martin Luther King, he had a completely different approach. 
He wanted justice for everyone. And it wasn't just about a specific race. It was equality for all. And it's, it's such a shame that the same thing that he's been marching for since the 60s and, and 70s, the same thing that he marched for and the same thing that he's been, you, you know, uh, speaking about and, and been thorough with, with speaking about it, we still facing them exact same things today. You know, and it's, it's like, at, at what point do it just shut off? But I think what he did was effective because we did see some type of change and transition. But we got to remember, you know, as African-Americans, we're fighting a race 400 years late. You know, so, I mean, we still have a lot of catching up to do. So with us having so much catching up to do just to live life and, and be equal, we have to get this whole stigma out of our head of being underneath, of being slaves. And I think that's what Dr. Martin Luther King did for people. It, it gave, he helped people develop some type of um, strength to understand who they are and not just appreciate uh, uh, black people. But like he said, he don't judge a person based off the color, based off the, the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Because mm -hmm. character is everything. You mm -hmm. can be a black devil, you can be a white devil. You can be a black racist, you can be a white racist. And he spoke about all that. So I really I really did uh, honor Dr. Martin Luther King, and I really do appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, um, you know, he definitely uh, uh, was an honorable man, uh, for sure. Um, and, uh, um, you know, which, which you know, you, you, you touched on how uh, uh, God too, um, uh, you know, was a creator and is a creator and, uh, helps you create. And when you write your scripts, what inspires you the most about your writing? Just, just knowing that, uh, writing and, and, and productions have the power to change someone. Mm -hmm. um and 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 really like bring strength into people like i was like i like here's an example um when i wrote a show called De uh, desperate it was a it was a stage play and there was this okay. this girl she was uh she worked at a hospital she played the lead role on emma and there was a doctor um that she worked with um at the hospital where she worked um he was an atheist and okay. He just stopped believing God. He said he hasn't been he hasn't he hasn't been to church, didn't believe in God uh, since he was about 13 years old. At this point, he's like 50. And when he came to see Desperate, uh, the stage play, there was some some dialogue in that that really touched him and it really hit home. Mm -hmm. And um, he, he he told her that he had a um, he had a, like an encounter with God like after that. And for about a week, he kind of been in his own mind and went on and went to church. And, and, and he, it's not that he became a church man. He just said that he do now acknowledge that there is a God. And he realized him being an atheist just came from his hurt because he, he said he was praying to God for his mom not to pass away. Mm -hmm. And his mom ended up passing away because she was shot and he wanted his mom to live from that, that, that wound. Mm -hmm. And because she died, he felt like there was no God and it, it, because if it was a God, he wouldn't have allowed that to happen to him at such a young age. Wow. And he was just judging it based off the rules. So most people that's atheists, they have this, this, this hurt, you know, and, and his, he elaborated on that. So just mm -hmm. knowing that my writing and my show was able to touch someone and change their life and, you know, bring them to God, that did me well. So it's like now when I write, I write on purpose to change, you know, to provoke change, to provoke thought, to provoke dialogue, you know, that most people may not say or do. Right, right. So in, in your writing, when you write, um, aside from, um, you know, uh, um, you valuing the fact that the audience um, uh, can build a relationship uh, with God, um, are there any other you know, reasons um, that you write what you write uh, in terms of, you know, you, you said that you'd like to see change and, and uh, um, you know, you like to help people. Um, what else, you know, besides, uh, you know, see, you know, besides finding a relationship with God, um, what, you know, what else is, you know, what else is there that satisfies you um, that you uh, retain from your audience feedback? Just being able to tell real stories. Um, again, like when I look at television, sometimes, man, I look at some of these shows 
Um, you know, it's, and it's not to take anything away from shows that's on television right now because at the end of the day, it's all entertainment. But mm-hmm. um, I it just I don't like the narrative that's being told and the the way that it's being told. And, and because I've been through so much, I've seen so much, I've survived the streets of Chicago. Um, I'm from the West Side. I, I, I grew up in Uptown, back to the West Side, and these some of the worst places, you know, in Chicago and just seeing you know, how that life is and just understanding how I survived and made it out of that. And then when I look at the television and try to depict these stories, it's, it's, so, it's so disappointing because they tell stories from just their perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say anything against Caucasian writers or anything against anyone. But when you're writing about, it's, it's almost like I wouldn't write about being a doctor and the language of a doctor if I don't, if I don't know that to be real. Right. Like I can easily just look at something on the internet and make my story based off what I've seen on the internet, but it's not actual and factual and then it's not real to life. And, you know, and I want, and and I'm saying, Hey, this is the real stuff. No, that's not the real stuff. Uh You know? So I just like to write real stories where people can see like what's real. And, and, and the reason why I think that's important because when you look at how, Let's just take black men in America. Okay. Most black men are deemed as animals and are deemed as thugs because of what you see on the internet. The internet put us out there to be that, right? But mm-hmm. what people don't know is the why behind these stories. Mm-hmm. You, and, and, and I feel like it's easier to forgive people when you can understand them. So mm-hmm. if I can give you real stories to make you understand why people make certain decisions that they make, you know, and not really give an excuse behind it because when somebody say, well, they need to stop doing that and get out and get a job. Or what happened when you were just 10 years old, your mama's on crack, your father's been in jail, no other family member can take care of you. You living in a Section A apartment. You got two siblings younger than you. You only 11. You can't go out and get a job. People really don't care because the people that you see in your society and people that you see on television from the rap videos, it's all about the bling, 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 bling in the cars. So when you see them happy and being able to have that bling, bling, I have no other resources. I have nothing else in front of me that can tell me that I can be great without having to be a rapper or be a basketball player or being the biggest drug dealer from where I'm from. Mm -hmm. I have nothing else in front of me to tell me that. I have Mm -hmm. no other heroes in this neighborhood. So when I'm 11 years old, and I've, and I've grown to live this life now, and I've been introduced to the drug selling game. I, I, I had to figure out ways to feed my, my, my uh, younger siblings. So I couldn't do homework. I couldn't focus in school. Then a principal mm-hmm. kicking you out, calling you dumb. The teachers call you stupid. You angry. You want to fight everybody. People don't understand your anger and what's inside of you and where this stuff is coming from. Because at the end of the day, when they leave the school, they go back to their little suburban neighborhood and they live great. They have dinners at the table. Mm-hmm. You don't even know what a dinner table look like. You don't even know what it's like to even sit with a family. So wow. when you have these children growing up like this and these stories aren't told correctly, only thing you do is cause more hatred and more judgment. But mm-hmm. when you can understand where this child is coming from and you can understand what this child had to go to go through, then the narrative, it really can be changed. And then now it, what I can do with the writing, if I can give a solution, make you understand a person, give a solution and give some type of hope, I can help change the trajectory with just that. You know, it sounds like, you know, you like the genuine aspect um, of your writing. And you mentioned uh, you know, one of the things um, that you did as a child was was play basketball. And uh, yeah. I also read about you that uh, uh, you are a former basketball player. And being an ex-athlete, what is your position regarding Colin Kaepernick as well as our country's national anthem? I feel like um, Kaepernick didn't get the support that he should have gotten. And when I, what I mean by that is when you look at uh, most of the athletes in the NFL, even mm-hmm. in the NBA, most are African-American. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think they saw the bigger picture as to what he was doing back then. But now with everything happening with the George Floyd situation and, you know, so many African-Americans that just getting 
murdered by police and it's with no and they walking away free like it's like no consequences it's like now do you understand the reason for the knee it's like he kneeled and uh, as a silent protest in honor of all the, the 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 blacks that were being murdered the 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 mistreatment within our communities he kneeled on the ground but you had an officer to kneel on the man's neck you know what i'm saying it's like the kneel was different mm-hmm. and 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 because of i understood what he was doing um i have sons myself i have daughters i still i live in chicago i still live in the urban areas and because i see the the mistreatment from police like if i would have known my law, my rights and the stuff that i know now about the law i would have been filthy rich from lawsuits from cpd Mm-hmm. I would have been mm-hmm. filthy rich. I've been beat up by the police. So it's like I understood. And be, when Kaepernick's, uh, when the, the NFL made an example out of him by saying, I don't care how big you think you are. I don't care who you think you are. I don't care that you have a platform. If you try to stand for your people, we're going to make an example out of you. And we're not mm-hmm. going to give you a job here anymore. That's mm-hmm. how it sounded to me. So I haven't watched the NFL since. Yeah, a lot of people have said, uh, um, uh, you know, especially this season, um, you know, I'll talk to people about games or I'll ask people uh, about games or, uh, uh, you know, be involved in, in some sort of a football um, uh, conversation. And nine out of 10 people um, have told me exactly what you just said, which is that uh, uh, they, uh, they are not, you know, that they did not watch any of the NFL uh, football games uh, this year. Um, you know, this, uh, this season. Um, and, 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 and how, how does that, you know, you're feeling towards how Colin Kaepernick uh, kneeled during the national anthem. Um, how do you, how do you feel about our country's national anthem? You know, being an African-American male. I feel like it can change a little bit. The worst part about it is that uh, although they say this is the land of the free, it's a uh, freedom of speech. Um, as we can see, that's not real. And, and I, I think there's a lot of contradiction and, you know, not just the national anthem, but even in the laws, like in the constitution, there's, there's so many different contradictions because there's so many, we cannot be free and say what we feel. If we be free and say what we feel, then we're considered terrorists, we're considered hateful, you know, we're considered nagging, we're considered all of this. I, yeah, it just, I, I guess the, the contradiction just has to stop. So, yeah, it's interesting to hear what you have to say um, about the NFL as well as uh, uh, our country's national anthem, because um, it does say in our national anthem um, that it's liberty and justice for all, and it's the land of the home and the free and the brave. Um, and it just seems yeah. that, you know, it seems that there's, you know, it, going back to what you had just said about the contradiction, um, which leads me to my next question for you, Richard, which is, um, what changes would you personally like to see regarding unity, um, not only in our country, but also in the show business? Well, that's a list. Um, for one, um, I would like to see equality everywhere. Um, I don't care what you are. I don't care black, white, Chinese, whatever. God made one race, and that's the human race. Mm-hmm. People created racism. So uh, I would I would like I would like for our country to see every race, every person, every culture the way God sees them. And I think if if we can see every if everyone can see everyone else the way God sees them, I think we'll live in a much 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 better world. Mm-hmm. Because when God sees people, He don't see the you know He don't see the wrong all the time. He don't see a color. He don't see that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I would like for our country to start giving people second chances. I think everyone, I, I, I feel like no one should have the, the ultimate say-so for another person's life. Mm-hmm. It's like, since when did you become the creator and the maker of this person's life to say that they need to die right now? Mm-hmm. I think no one should have that ultimate decision to just take a person's life like that. I would definitely, definitely love to see more resources um, better education within the African-American community. Um, right now, uh, I mean, if you look at, you know, let's, let's be honest, um, the education in the African-American uh, community, it's nowhere near what's given in the, the suburban schools. 
the education, the everything is different, you know. Um, in what way? In, 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 in what aspect? So, so more in the urban communities, the the education is dummy down to where it's really not much work. The work is very, very, very simple. You have seven grade, seven grade children can be reading at like a third grade level because it was never, it was never really pushed. Um, mm -hmm. I would say even better teaching. Um, I, I think, I think some of the, the, the teaching, it, it needs to be, um, it needs to be taken more serious. More money should be invested in the public schools. We're taught things that we're not going to use for the rest of our life. So I look at the teachers as not just, the teachers in these communities are just communicators, but the real teachers are the ones that's going to teach you stuff that you're going to be able to use for the rest of your life. Like we, we go through all this, this, this schooling that's watered down for real. Uh, we don't learn about real history. Um, right now, of course, you know, they're, they're putting the LGBTQ, um, curriculums and everything in the schools but even even if a little boy want to be called a girl they don't have to tell that to the parents that can be exclusive with the child um, and you have to call that child a girl if he want to be called a girl mm -hmm. if you want to be called a she and it's like that's what's that's been a, a focal point and that's what's been important like in the schooling system from what i've been seeing and it's like we don't even talk about the, the, the mistreatment of a culture of people. We don't mm -hmm. even talk about the, the real black history, like where we really come from. We don't even talk about that because that's not important. And for the record, Christopher Columbus did not discover America. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like this is stuff that we're taught. You know what I'm saying? And then when we get out of school, we have no financial literacy. We know nothing about real estate. We know nothing about businesses had you know what i'm saying it's like it's, it's so many different things that are just so messed up so mm -hmm. that should be incorporated in the schools if you want to see change for real if you really want to help a culture of people bring some people in there that's going to teach about real estate that's going to teach about banking that's going to teach about business that's going to teach about financing financial literacy this is the stuff that should be focused in the schools right you know and it, it sounds yeah and it, you know it sounds it sounds like what you're saying is 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 you know in regards to the urban community and the in the in the in the public schools uh, in the urban community that you would like to see more resources, um, uh, you know more resources that these children can use uh, when they become adults. Is that is that correct? Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Things that's important. You know what I'm saying? Things that right. we can utilize. If you did a survey and asked in every African American or even brown child in, in, in any of these schools, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh -huh. Do you know what you want? You know, do you know what you want to do when you grow up? Most of them are going to say an athlete. Most of them are going to say a rapper. And then the, the other biggest percent is going to say, I don't know. Wow. Because there's nothing there to deem the interest to, to make you say, okay. But if imagine if they put real estate classes in there. And, and if they put class in there to teach you about financial literacy, right. oh man, okay, I see I'm really good with finance. I'm really good with numbers. I'm, right. I'm really good with, like, I'm, I'm very artistic. Maybe I could be an interior decorator for my real estate company. You know, it's like, it's nothing there that's offered that's going to really help. But uh -huh. the biggest important thing that they wanted to focus on was teaching them about the LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and, 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 you know, it sounds like, uh, um, you know, what you're saying is, uh, again, that, that, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're a man with a big heart, and um, you want what's best for uh, not only uh, every race and every gender, um, but, you know, specifically, um, you know, our children, our future. Um, and that's, you know, starts with, um, uh, you know, th their schooling, and uh, their curriculum. And their resources outside of school and also in school, um, and it sounds like uh, you have a pretty, you know, firm position and stance on uh, exactly what you would like to see in terms of um, making sure that the the schools and the urban communities um, are, are are well staffed and, and well equipped to educate the children the way that they should be educated. 
Yeah, okay. no, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's okay. Like I think, I think once that can happen, man, you will start to see a big change because it, it, it's like even if because people talk about putting so much money into the urban communities, talking about rebuilding it. If you don't change the mind of the people there, you're going to rebuild it, and they ain't going to do nothing but mess it up and tear it down because they won't understand it. All right. So yeah, I understand what you're saying, and 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 and. You know, if you could please share with us and in our audience um, how you were raised in Chicago and how you actually became successful. Because I also noticed, too, that you do have a pilot out there on Amazon Prime Video called Desperate. And you just were talking about Desperate earlier um, and it being a stage play um, that you created. And um, so I, I, I imagine that Desperate, the stage play, you turned into Desperate uh, as a TV pilot. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Okay. And then I also noticed, too, that you have a stage play um, uh, right now um, that's actually running called uh, or was running up until the pandemic, uh, but it's called 1800s versus 2020. Um, so if you can tell us a little bit about Desperate and, 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 and where that came from and, and, and why you went you know, with the transition from a stage play to a, a TV pilot, and then also too about 1800s versus 2020, the stage play. Um, and, and let us know a little bit uh, about how uh, you created them and, 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 and what they're both uh, about and, 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 how you're, you know, are, and how you are achieving your success in Chicago. Absolutely. So uh, the, first, the first question to answer is, uh, you know, just the way I was raised and where I come from. Um, I'm from the west side of Chicago, from K-Town. Um, later on, moved to the north side in Uptown, uh, which I thought would have been a much better place than, <laughs> than the west side, but it turned out to be worse. Um, it was eight of us, single parent household, uh, mom doing it all by herself. Um, didn't really have a relationship with my father for real. And, but right before he passed away, we end up, you know, developing some type of relationship, um, which was 22 years later. I ended wow. up forgiving him for not being there. And he wasn't the best father to me, but he was the best grandfather you can ask for, you know? Mm. So, mm. Um, so your but, children you know, love him and he loved your uh, children. Yeah. He got a chance to meet uh, my oldest daughter. Um, That's wonderful. My son, RJ, he got a chance to meet him, too. But RJ don't really remember him mm -hmm. because he was so young. Mm -hmm. um, but he never got a chance to meet my other two children, uh, Milani and Ramari. But, um, yeah, my, just it's just, man, drugs. You know, the, the streets, it, it got the best of them. And, you know, he was, uh, he was on drugs for as long as I can remember. I, I can't remember him ever not being on drugs. Wow. And uh, just having, you know, such a, a a distant relationship, even, you know, I would go over there some uh, for the summers because uh, he lived with my great grandmother. So mm -hmm. I, I, I can't remember my grandmother because she passed away when I was young. But her mom, which is my great grandmother, is who I had the relationship with. Okay. And, you know, she was taking care of my father and, you know, my uncle and her house was the house that everyone went to. Everybody mm -hmm. in the family. You wanted to see anybody in the family? go to my go to her house yeah That's, yeah <laughs> yeah she, she, she was it sounds like else. she yeah it sounds like she was the glue to the family which is you know it's, exactly it's, you know the door is always open there's food there's love there's drinks there's yeah. uh you know a good time yeah. and, and and you know that's what family's all about yeah that that was that was my great-grandmother she let she open her doors to anyone uh she she'll be the one that can tell you know our, our cousins the you know, at the time was the, the big time person, you know, from the streets that she, she'd be the only one that could pop him in his head and tell him sit down somewhere. You know, so that <laughs> <laughs> the biggest thug can pop in the head by this little old woman and tell him yeah, sit yeah. down and he listen. You know? <laughs> no, she sounds like so, a strong, amazing woman. And, and uh, yeah. you know, I think I, I definitely can see that you got uh, a lot of her genes for sure. Yeah, I, man, I, I I used to sit down and actually just talk with my grandma so much and just listen to it because she was full of wisdom, yeah. you know. Um, and and just you know just 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 having that it it kept me a lot, you know. My mom, um, she was still trying to heal from past relationships, and you know it was just so much going on. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I feel like as a, as a teenage boy, you know, growing up in Chicago, I just feel like she didn't quite understand, you know, where I was coming from and just didn't allow me to do some of the things I wanted to do. So uh-huh. because I, I felt like I had to take everything that I had and I had to, you know, just go after it. You know, it, it, it wasn't much she could stop me from doing for real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, I just, I, I kind of got off into doing my own thing, but still playing basketball at the same time. I was boxing, playing football, um, just trying to, you know, be a pure athlete just to escape, you know, some of the stuff that was happening and, and that was going on and really escape my reality, but at the same time, keep myself busy because uh-huh. so many people around me, you know, they end up dead, they end up in jail. And I didn't want that to be my future. I didn't want that to be my reality. I didn't want that to be my narrative. So well, I kind of stayed away from, yeah, I just wanted to stay away from it, man. And just, I had that in my mind that I wasn't going to let that consume me. I wasn't going to become a product of my environment. Yeah, you know, no, I absolutely. Yeah. To my society. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you know, it's, 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 I've always said this, that, you know, sports, I believe, um, especially for children, is so important and it's so key yes. and it's so huge because you can learn so much about life playing sports and you can learn about dedication and teamwork and hard work and uh, camaraderie and races, genders, sexual orientations, you know, yeah. religions and, and, and so on. And, and, you know, sports is really um, uh, a caveat that can be used um, to really better someone's life. And yeah. You know, and, and, and I think that, you know, it's very important um, to have uh, children uh, involved in sports or some sort of after school activity, whether it's the arts um, uh, or sports, uh, something where they can, uh, um, you know, uh, kind of go somewhere where they can get rid of uh, uh, some, some, some aggression and, and, and be around people and socialize and, and, and you know, be, uh, whether it's on a field or a football field or, you know, in a theater. I think it's a good way for children to learn uh, the basic principles about, uh, you know, about life and, and, and with, you know, with hard work comes good rewards. Um, so, yeah. You know, being from Chicago and you just talking now about, um, you know, your upbringing and your family and, um, you know, it sounds like, you know, uh, um, the uh, uh, your stage play 1800s versus 2020 as well as uh, uh, Desperate, both your stage play and your TV series is just, you know, they're both genuine shows and, and, and uh, you know, you wrote them based on, uh, on your, uh, um, you know, your life experiences, um, yeah. which is wonderful. And, and, and I think that's amazing what you're doing. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, watching the TV a lot, um, you know, on the news, you know, you, obviously you hear about a lot of crime that's happening all over the country. But one of the biggest cities um, where you're hearing about a lot of crime is Chicago. And yeah. when it comes to police violence, especially towards the African-American community, what do you think that President Biden and Vice President Harris should do to make sure that this horrible police violence stops? Also, I wanted to ask you, Richard, um, that's uh, uh, question one. Um, uh, and then question two is, have you ever been a victim of police racial profiling? <laughs> what is that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the first thing I'll say is um, I think they need to be held accountable. If you arrest, kill, lock, lock up, do whatever, you need to be held accountable. There's a lot of innocent people in jail that because they were racially profiled and because they fit a description from what an officer thought that who lives are ruined, like, legit like a guy just got released from prison for six uh 50 years wow he'd been in prison for 50 years wrongly convicted the white officer that did that to him um end up admitting that he the one that did it uh, another situation um um and there's a friend of mine who's about to get out of jail uh really soon um the guy that committed a crime that he was blamed for he ended up being uh, cellies with this guy. And the, it, it, took, it took three years for them to reopen the case so that the guy can admit that he was the one that actually did the crime. 
and he was in jail for a completely different crime. So it's like, for one, they got to do a better job at investigating. Even when you know that this person don't fit, don't have pride and just say, oh man, it was, it was, we, I was wrong in this. Like the movie mm-hmm. about the, 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 the kids from New York, you know, the, the five that, that was, that went to jail mm-hmm. and lost their life because the lady that was the only case, she had too much pride to just say that she had the wrong people. So she had to make up this whole thing and force these people and their family to say this because she dealt with an uncle who, you know, who was just in jail and she, hey, you want to go back? If you if you don't want to go back, you better say this. We're going to put this. It like that. That they got to be. They they have to be held accountable, and that stuff has to stop because they are ruining lives doing this stuff, mm-hmm. like legit ruining people's lives. And yeah, I've been racially profiled quite like uh, uh, quite a few different times. I've been beat up by the police before. Wow. Like so, like it sounds like it, it. Sounds like you know you you you. What you're saying is that you know, you think it would be better um, if there was accountability. Um, And, uh, you know, if there's, you know, if there's some uh, consequences um, for the actions. Um, And I want to get back into what you just said about um, uh, you have been racially profiled uh, and being an African-American male in the city of Chicago, born and raised there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and you just said that you were beat up by uh, uh, police officers. Can you can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, uh, I was leaving a park. Um, we played it up at Ecker, at Ecker Park. It's on Chicago Avenue, like right off Ashland. Uh, leaving that park, uh, walking to my car, uh, I left my basketball inside the gym. So I was trying to get back into the gym uh, so that I can get my basketball. They had locked the door, so I was asking the, the guy if he could, you know, come open the door so I could get my ball. I told him I left my ball. So I was knocking on the doors, and I was asking them if I could just go in there and get my ball. And I told them, well, they could just, you know, look in the gym themselves and just get it. So then the police got out the car. Uh, they called me over there to their car. Then they said that they had received a call from about a guy uh, doing robberies, and I fit the description. And I'm like, man, y'all just saw me walk out of the gym. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And this and and uh, the officer told me, you know, raise, you know, calm my voice down. And he was like, uh, matter of fact, uh, 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 we gonna we gonna just cuff you and put you in the car and we gonna have a talk with you. I'm like, man, you're not finna cuff me. I'm like, what are you cuffing me for? Like, what you know what I'm saying? And at this point, they got aggressive and you know, dude, uh, one of the dudes punched me in my face, uh, put me in a the cuff. They tripped me. I hit my head on the car. Uh, you know, so they they aggressively put the cuffs on me. You know what I'm saying? And then they took me in the station and said that I was uh, um, resisting arrest and that I was trying to fight a police officer. Wow. So here I am sitting in a, in a station, mouth bleeding. I got a knot on my head because they, you know, they tackle me on the car. Uh, then the guy said, we know you're one of these thugs out here. We're sick and tired of you effing people thinking you can one. And, you know, it's just all type of stuff. And it's like, man, just racially profiled and mm-hmm. if I'd have been white, if I'd have been any other, you know, I, that wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened like that. Mm-hmm. Even as far as getting inside the gym, I think, you know, they would, oh, okay, no problem. And, you know, if I'd have been a Caucasian guy, they'd have let me go in the gym, see if my ball was in there. But so, I mean, someone did steal my ball. Uh, mm-hmm. And I found out, I found out about that, you know, later on. Uh, right. The next day, I went back up there because that was my that was my basketball. Yeah, I, that that was my ball. I wanted yeah. my basketball. Yeah, and you have the passion oh. for basketball, and it's like you know some of these athletes, just you know these pro athletes, even too, you know they 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 when they do uh, documentaries on them or um, uh, stories on them, I mean they'll show them you know sleeping with their basketball or sleeping with their football or sleeping with their hockey stick or sleeping with their baseball glove, you know whatever it may be. Um, you know, so, so it is, uh, I definitely can see that, um, you yeah. know, there is an attachment, you know, that's your ball and, 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 yeah. and you know, you love to play basketball. The, the way I was looking at it is like, this is all I know. This is all that I have. And y'all trying to take this from me. Like, this is mine. Uh-huh. This is my meal ticket to get, to become something, to get out of here. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like this, that's, that's, that's how I looked at it. 
Yeah, I understand your passion, you know, definitely for sure. I mean, it sounds uh, uh, for sure that, you know, you have a, a passion not only for the arts, but also for sports and, and your life and your family and your friends and, 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 and God and church. And um, I think, uh, you know, th th that's amazing. And again, ladies and gentlemen who are listening to our show all over the world tonight on the You Gotta Be Bullshilling Me podcast, we have Mr. Richard Gallion. Uh, uh, he is a playwright, a writer, a director, a producer, an actor, a church man, a family man. He's from Chicago, born and raised. And, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, um, uh, what Richard uh, feels uh, it's like um, uh, growing up in today's world and also when he was a child um, about um, inclusion and uh, diversity and unity um, and, uh, um, you know, how police perceive African-Americans and, um, uh, you know, how uh, professional uh, sports sees African-Americans and how the show business, the entertainment business in Hollywood sees uh, African-Americans. Um, and uh, uh, Richard, uh, you know, what you were saying about, um, uh, you know, your passion um, is very honorable. Um, you know, especially, you know, from where you come from. And, um, you know, I, I, I sincerely wish you uh, nothing but the best. And um, I know that, uh, um, you know, with your hard work and your passion and your desire and your drive and uh, uh, with God's help um, in your relationship with God, you will get there and you will achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. And that being said, too, um, every week uh, and with every guest, I discuss two topics that I think of during the week. Uh, they're different topics every week, different with every guest. And the first topic I wanted to talk to you about this week, Richard, is comedy. And the reason I want to talk about comedy is because I sincerely cannot tell you the last time that I've seen a funny sitcom or a funny movie. And wanted to ask you, do you feel that comedy is quote unquote dead in the entertainment industry? And do you feel that the producers and the studios and the networks are primarily focused on just drama? I don't think it's dead. I think that that should be a focus. Like people want something to laugh about now. Laughter is good for the soul. It's like medicine. Like Absolutely. I, I don't think it's dead. I think, I think they just don't give it enough space anymore. Like, it's time for another American Pie type movie. Absolutely. It's, I couldn't agree with you more. It's time for another, yeah, Meet the Fockers. Like, it's, it's time for these movies, um, especially Absolutely. in times like this. Um, yeah, but I, 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 think, I think what it is is um, a, lot of, a lot of people that's actually funny are just really not getting that, that, that break for real. They're yeah. not being presented and not put out there. Yeah, no, you know, I, I agree with you there, too. And I also, you know, one of the things that I, you know, it's not only the people that are funny um, aren't getting the break. I think that, you know, Hollywood is, you know, their, their mentality is if it's not broken, don't fix it kind of a thing. Right. And it's like we have these quote unquote comedic actors who have been in the entertainment industry and been in films and TV shows uh, and sitcoms and comedy features um, for many years. And I think it's very hard for them um, to, you know, to, to, to play different characters or to be in a different genre of a project. And, you know, I think, and I've been saying this for a long time, that Hollywood really needs a new crop. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, the whole entertainment industry needs a new crop. Um, you know, and, and, and it's time to, you know, especially during this pandemic, you know, you really realize after watching rerun after rerun after rerun, it's like, okay, I, I, I'm done watching this person. It's not funny anymore. You know, it's beating a dead horse. It's redundant. It's repetitive. Like, can, you know, can, can somebody else play this role? Um, so I definitely hear what you're saying um, about that is that, you know, the, you know, the, the, the people in, you know, the, the, the people in Hollywood um, and, you know, the, the whole entertainment and uh, acting show business uh, industry in general, they need to start looking for uh, new, fresh talent and new, fresh faces because the old talent, and the old faces, um, like I said, I believe are just getting to be um, um, very boring. Uh, not funny anymore. You know what punchline to expect. You know what character they're going to play. You know what clothes they're going to wear. You know how they're going to talk. You know what cast they're going to be with, what crew they're going to be. I mean, it's just, it's the same thing over and over and over and it's boring. I actually, no, I, I was about to say, I think they're, I think they're bringing more new faces in. Like I've, I've been seeing a lot more new faces. That's great. Um, That's good. Yeah. It, I, I've been seeing a whole lot more new faces. I think they, I think they're doing a better job at, at doing that 
It's just uh, they just uh, uh, they just have to learn quickly that you know for every great person, there's going to always be some other people that's going to come behind them that's going to be even greater. Right. You know, like when you take the the Doug West and then you had the Will Chamberlain's, then you had the Clyde Drexler, then you had the Michael Jordan's, then you had the Island Iverson, the LeBron James. Like it's always greater great people that's also coming. Right. You know, um, so they have to trust that even when it comes to the actors. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the sayings I say is, you know, be nice to the people on your elevator ride up because you never know who you're going to pass on your elevator ride down. So, um, so the second topic is sports. And obviously I can tell you have a big passion for sports and being an ex-basketball player and a passion for basketball as a child growing up in Chicago. Um, you know, I, I understand, you know, during this COVID-19 pandemic, you know, sports, I, I get it. I understand it. You know, I'm an ex-hockey player myself and, you know, sports, it's a business and I get that. And last year, the owners got crushed financially due to COVID-19 and that forced, uh, um, uh, you know, the players escrows to increase and think that fans should be able to attend games and also, would you personally go watch a live game if, if it was allowed? I mean, me, yeah, me personally, I would go because um, uh, the, the stadiums are big enough to be socially distant. Like, let's be real. Right. Like, these right. stadiums are huge. Um, yeah. But as long as, you know, as long as they're doing it right, like, to where people are being safe with the mask and, you know, but, I mean, at, at the end of the day, too, that's a lot to clean up. Yeah, yeah for sure. You know, <laughs> a lot of hand sanitizer. Like, that's for damn sure. Yeah, that's that's a whole lot. Yeah, um, but yeah. but I mean, I I really believe that you know this whole COVID thing will be gone soon, and that everything would open up because you have like from your mouth fans. to God's ears. Man, I, I really believe it. You yeah. have some sports fans that just live for this, and you know, Absolutely. and the athletes they're performing, they're doing well, but they perform even better with a, a crowd, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, for sure. They feed off the energy. Yeah. That energy is real. You know, it's absolutely. Real. Absolutely. So Richard, um, you know, again, sincerely, you know, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on our show today. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a, a pleasure to have you, of course. Um, can you tell uh, everyone, all of our listeners all over the world, how can they find you on social media? Well, uh, first off, they can go to my website, uh, richardgallion.com. Gallion is spelled G-A-L-L-I-O-N, um, richardgallion.com. Subscribe. Um, I, I push out a lot of different things on there from auditions and, you know, telling about what's next, uh, what's the new, uh, what's coming up. Um, also, I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook, everything, all my social media tags is Richard Gallion. You know, very easy to find. Um, not many people with the galleon last name, so <laughs> yeah, 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 that's great. You know, that's it great. It wouldn't be that hard. Yeah, no, I love it, and I love you all, Richard. Again, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. We'll definitely have you back on our show down the line next week. We have another very special guest. Also, if you would like to be a guest on our show, you can email thinkshilling at gmail.com and follow us on all social media at thinkshilling. Until then. Cry when you need to cry. And this is Brian C. Schilling, your host of the You Gotta Be Bullshilling Me podcast. Until then, peace the fuck out.